0: Hi, I'm Raghu and I'm back. Another mind-rolling podcast and I have the pleasure to, I had the pleasure, which you will hear, just wanted to do this little introduction around Dan Siegel. Dr. Dan Siegel is an amazing psychiatrist, uh, practitioner at UCLA in Los Angeles and also um, very much involved in mindfulness and awareness and wrote this very great book called Aware the Science and Practice of Presence and you'll hear all about that I also wanted to say on behalf of our great great partner 1440 who has all of the most wonderful workshops that you could possibly want in any direction 1440 Multiversity out by Santa Cruz in the most beautiful campus. And just uh, and Dan himself, Dr. Dan's going to be there, and he's going to be sharing from his book, Aware, a workshop, and I can't more highly recommend it. And you can go to 1440 Multiversity, go to 1440.org, and you should take a look. And by the way, I was just looking at some of the other offerings of people. I don't necessarily know. I mean, there's one January 18th, by the way, uh, which uh, the uh, it's happening. Boy, they have all this going on at the same time. It's phenomenal, uh, or around the same time they have a, a guided meditation retreat with Dr. Uh, Shafali. Saberi, who I had a wonderful podcast with. She's fantastic. And then there's a woman named, teacher named Busy Gold. And she is, uh, I didn't, I, was very uh, amazing uh, looking woman and tattoos and everything. But meanwhile, so she's talking about living with chronic uh, fear, worry, pain, or doubt. And uh, she's got a whole methodology to help transform that. So you just can't miss here. There's so many great offerings. That's 1440 Multiversity. Go to 1440.org. And and I must say again how much we appreciate their support for what we're doing at Be Here Now Network and uh, the fact that we share so much in common in terms of our values and our purpose. So there you go. Uh, And just to give you an idea... Uh, I mean, Dan is really great at bringing together the intersection of uh, science and spirituality. I mean, he's uh, very much into Buddhist uh, philosophy and he's very close to Jack Cornfield, who you hear on Be Here Now Network, and Lama Surya Das, and he knows, and so many of our, of our friends. So it's kind of nice to bring someone else into the... Our more immediate family and Dan he, the way he couches things you know in ter- terms of talking about the quote unquote ineffable that cannot be described that which represents the one, the unconditional love that lives through the molecules of every thing that has consciousness which everything does in the universe all of them and he talks about energy is the movement. From possibility to actuality and the playing of possibility is that timeless, spaceless perspective, which is uh, another way of saying Brahman, which is what we were talking about. the our last retreat in Ohio. And, uh, and, you know, and I, I, it's funny because I was, again, from this thing around the movie of me, Krishna Nas's, uh fun thing about waking up in the morning and being the director, producer, and star of our daily lives, and how do we transform from the self-centered me to the realization of our interconnected being. And before I could even talk to Dan, even bring it up, it, and I'm reading through his book, and he has a whole thing from me to we in it. So I mean, we're not geniuses here, about uh, but we we are definitely working on it. And Dan came up with the great, great uh, coined the term from me to we, and so now we're all called Mwe M W E Mwe Mwe. M-W-E. <laughs> Anyhow, it's a great uh, chat with him. And uh, uh, by the way, uh, this uh, podcast will be um, up uh, just before our retreat. We have an online retreat, right, that starts on November. You've got to get this right, everybody. Sixth, 28th. 29th. So the Friday, the 29th. I'm sorry, Friday's the 30th. So the 30th and the 1st and the 2nd of December. I got it. We're going to live stream from the beautiful Napili uh, on the shores of Maui with Ram Das, Krishna das, and Jack Cornfield, Trudy Goodman, and Sharon Salzberg, and special guest star, Joseph Goldstein. So it's going to be, uh, and I will be there, yours truly, as well. And uh, it's going to be quite an extravaganza, and we're going to talk about generosity. And by the way, this will not get dated because we continue whenever we have a retreat at love sir, under love sir remember foundation in maui with ramdas and krishnas and friends we live stream not all of it 3 days though maybe we end up streaming about half of it and then we put the other half the whole thing out later in the year once we get uh, get it all edited so take a, you just got to go to sign up at uh, ramdas.org and you'll get a notification, and you can watch it at any time. So there you go. That's it. And now, here's my conversation with Dr. Dan Siegel on awareness and the science and practice of presence. Hi, it's Rago. I'm with Dr. Dan Siegel, and we were just talking about all of the many, many people that are part of a greater family that we seem to be part of. And so I'm really happy to have you here, Dan, and meet you, my first time, our first time meeting.
1: Raghu, great to meet you.
0: So Dan uh, is, a. am reading a little bit from the book, which I, Dan has a a book out called Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence. Um, There are some extraordinarily informative things that we're going to talk about hopefully real soon here, but uh, Dan is a clinical professor of uh, psychiatry at UCLA and David Geffen School of Medicine and director of UCLA Mindful Awareness, and Dan uh, has spent a lot of time around uh, the intersection, really, of uh, science and um, Buddhist practice, I would say. And uh, Dan... Tell me one thing. Of course, uh, it's kind of not easy, but one can follow the path of somebody who has become a doctor and is interested in the mind. Uh, but tell me, how did you get a sort of turned in and tuned in to the fact that there is a possible vantage point that wasn't the identity that you, we all. Uh, identify with on a day-to-day basis? What, what were the little fulcrums that perhaps uh, levitated you into an, a zone from which you could see a little more clearly about what the, what is going on?
1: Well, Raghu, that's very, <coughs> excuse me, very interesting. First of all, let me apologize for this cough. Um, I'm here in Los Angeles where sadly in California we have oh, all these
0: geez, I'm, yeah, that's terrible.
1: i caught a very sensitive bronchial system. Oh, um So, you know, it's a complicated question because um, unlike many people who chose to dive into alternate states of consciousness through plant medicines or other uh, substances, you know, I uh, didn't do that because of some family uh, addiction Mm. that made me incredibly psychologically averse to um, using substances to change my mind. Um, So the exploration for me has been really about uh, things like starting with um, college, working on a suicide prevention service and feeling the the openness when a person about to kill themselves could connect with you. And in that connection something larger than two people talking on a phone was created and uh that joining oh god it had just a huge impact on me i think mm. and um at the same time i was studying <coughs> excuse me to be a biochemist and trying to understand how the enzymes that allowed salmon to shift the density of their plasma when they went from freshwater to saltwater so they could survive made me really fascinated with the connection between molecular mechanisms (coughs) of reality, the emotional connection on a suicide service. So when I was in medical school, you know, the traditional thing of becoming a doctor, all that kind of stuff, um, always (coughs) had this flavor of, um, the, Uh, experience of mind shaping the outcome of physiological processes. So for me, as as an adolescent, this distinction between material things like enzymes and what you call immaterial things like communication were of the same essence. And when I tried to talk to people about it, I think they thought I was nuts. And, uh, I think that was the beginning of realizing, uh, you know, in my late teens, or early twenties, that, uh, maybe the traditional scientific view I was being taught as a biochemist and later as a physician, wasn't the whole story. Mm. Uh, and then when I became ultimately a psychiatrist, there were these kind of magical moments that kept on happening in psychotherapy it's hard to even describe, but they had a quality that even though I was trained in understanding the brain and all that stuff, <clears throat> it just seemed to me that the, the line we were being told that the mind is simply an output of the brain since the time of Hippocrates, really, 2,500 years ago, was not the whole story and maybe even a lie. And, uh, you know, when I went to uh, teach in Hawaii one year, Recently, actually, someone asked me to go visit Ram Das and it was my first time meeting him. And when I read his book when I was 14, you know, to be here now, be here now, uh, although it could be to be here now. <laughs> uh, it was this beautiful meeting because I was trying to share with him this question in a way you've asked uh, around the dinner table. And ultimately, we're swimming mm-hmm. in the ocean together. It was really fantastic to uh, share with him this journey of seeing kind of the origin of consciousness as Emerging from uh, a, an aspect of energy that certainly could include the brain But wouldn't be limited to the brain and then you could see mind as an emergent property of energy Which I've been writing about for about a quarter of a century uh, Could overlap with some of the things that Ram Das had been teaching and that you know other people would become my friends that you mentioned uh, before that this got started you know, Jack Cornfield, Dan Goldman, Sharon Salzberg, all the people that are going to be at this gathering. It was just an amazing moment to actually think that this journey, which involves zero um, training in, in uh, contemplative uh, traditions. I have no training in them. Mm. I have, I have friends who are trained in them, who have taught me uh, about their stuff, which has been absolutely fascinating and a beautiful um opportunity, but my own background has no background in that either. So, uh, when I find out the history of plant medicine on the one hand and, you know, Buddhist or Hindu meditation traditions, I'm kind of an outsider. Mm. Um, but I've been welcomed into the family as Jack Cornfield beautifully said one time. And, um, so I feel really at home, even though that isn't my background. And I think It's been really lonely, I got to say, in medicine and science. Um, And so I feel like I've, even though I've come from a different path, I've been really uh, excited to find people of like visions. And there's so much in the world now that needs this vision of a larger self than just the body and a larger mind than just the head. um, That I think it's not just interesting and fun, which of it is filled with love, but it's uh, urgently needed on the planet. Mm. So that's probably too long an answer. No, that's a great,
0: (laughs) no, that's a great, uh, wow, I've never heard of, you know, how you entered uh, is unique, really unique. Uh, And and, uh, it just shows you whenever it's supposed to, you know, when awakenedness is supposed to happen in any which way, You know, it just happens and it doesn't mean that it has to be through an ethnogen, which, as you say, many of my own contemporaries, that was the way that we all realized, wait a minute, there's something else going on here. You know, the mind and senses aren't it.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, recently I did a week long uh, retreat with a fellow named John Milton, who runs a program called The Way of Nature and you know he studied indigenous cultures and studied eastern traditions and things like that so i said to john you know do you use plant medicine he goes no you don't need to i said really he goes you'll get tapped into source you know without them you'll see we did a three-day solo time which he calls all one time and sure enough you know i mean i had been doing this meditation called the wheel of awareness where when i said to john milton you know what's source he goes it's pure receptive awareness And I had been doing this Wheel of Awareness um, meditation with 10,000 people, and they'd dropped into this incredibly spacious, timeless, interconnected reality thing that for a lot of people, they'd never experienced before. And when I went for the three-day solo time, it was beautiful to just, after about a day, lose a sense of a separate identity, Mm. feel like you were the creek, you were the rocks, you were the you were the trees, you were the sky. Um, and then when you come out of it, you know, that Dan issue, <laughs> comes back
0: the Dan and it's kind of,
1: the Dan is, you know, it's just kind of like a lie, you know? Mm. So anyway, we, we live with it. You got to pay your taxes and stuff like yes. that. Press on the brakes at a red light. But anyway, so yeah. So it's fascinating yeah. because I think the source, this idea of receptive awareness, pure consciousness, is something I think when I read, for example, um, Michael Pollan's book, yeah, uh, how to change your mind. You know what's amazing about that book was my book went to the printer right before his book was released. Oh, really? And the quotes are almost identical from people doing hallucinogens and people doing the Wheel of Awareness practice. Hmm. The mystical experiences we've actually actually rated them and people have done it are quite similar on one level. Of course, another level you're on a trip and you're having your brain distorted in all sorts of ways. But in another way, you you are entering this spacious, timeless thing that allows you with the wheel of awareness practice to access this kind of um, open way where you feel the interconnectedness and a sense of identity doesn't disappear. It massively expands.
0: Mm, yeah. You know, maybe uh, the the centerpiece of the book, of course, is the wheel of awareness uh, and that practice. And uh, why don't you just talk a little bit about it? I think people might be interested uh, in terms of uh, connecting with it i think it's it, it it it's a a very uh an entry point that i think many people can relate with
1: well thank you regu you know there are two simple ideas beneath the wheel of awareness practice that are helpful to just understand where it comes from the first idea uh there's a long line of science behind this but is that integration which is defined as different things being linked so like you and i in our conversation we can be differentiated and linked (laughs) (laughs) or in the brain you can have different parts separated and distinct and then (laughs) they're interconnected so the second thing to say is while integration may be the basis of health that's the proposal uh, it looks like consciousness is needed for change. Mm. So in my office, back in the late 90s, uh, I, had, I had like designed this table where there was like a glass hub and a wooden rim. And I had a number of patients who experienced different things, trauma, anxiety, uh, depression, uh, somewhere had medical illnesses, all sorts of illness things. And I thought, well, maybe if we integrated consciousness, that would do something like, if integration is health and consciousness needs for change, what if you like integrated consciousness? So I brought people off the chair or the couch and walked them around this table. And I said, hey, let's integrate consciousness. And they knew I was a little weird because I, I guess I am a little weird. Um, <laughs> and they would, but, you know, they're, they're my colleagues, whatever, my patients. Trusting. Uh, trusting trusting so I said, souls. Wait, what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, you could differentiate the knowing of consciousness in the hub and put the knowns on the rim and see this thing looks like a spoke. They go, yeah. I said, that's a tension. And let's do this practice where you can move the spoke around the rim to differentiate all the different elements of the knowns from each other. And then once we were doing that for a while, then I had this weird idea of bending the spoke around and aiming it right into the hub. And people would have these like transformative experiences doing the wheel overall. And what's on the rim is everything you're familiar with energy patterns coming from outside the body are the first segment of the rim so hearing seeing smelling tasting touching then you go to energy patterns from inside the body and that would be called interoception and that'd be the second segment of the rim then you move the spoke over to the third segment which would probably be energy patterns from your head brain which are thoughts and memories and things like that mental activities (laughs) and then we move the spoke over to the fourth segment of the rim, which is our sense of relationality, our interconnectedness. And then we would bend the spoke around, and later on we'd put it after the third segment. And amazingly, people's anxiety reduced, mild to moderate depression would get better, they could deal with trauma more effectively, people who are facing medical illnesses, Mm -hmm. like serious life-threatening illnesses, somehow could find in the hub a sanctuary of clarity and peace. Hmm. where if a worry came up on the rim, it was distinguished, it was differentiated, and there was kind of this amazing thing. So they got better and I started teaching my students who were therapists, they started finding it useful, they taught it to their clients, they found it useful. So I said, okay, I don't usually do this because I'm a therapist, but I'll do workshops. It wasn't my like style to do workshops, but I started doing workshops for therapists, educators, parents, anybody, and then to the general public. So I did it with, I'm a scientist, so I took a recorder, I did it with 10,000 people, Really? literally. Oh yeah, now I've done it with like way over 40,000 people, but I only recorded the first 10,000 because I did it the same way every time. Because as a scientist, I wanted one you know, standardized stimulus and I wanted to get a response. So we passed the microphone around. Somewhere between a quarter to a third of people would take the mic. So in this 10,000 survey, that's how many people did it. These are the people who responded. It was amazing how universal it was. It didn't matter where you did this. didn't matter a person's gender, age, meditation, history, religion, um, educational background. The results were quite similar. My students would even say, I can't believe that I've been to these three workshops. And everyone says basically exactly the same thing. So <laughs> ultimately, you know, I, I wanted, as a scientist, to understand why... Were people saying what they said?
0: What was like? What were they all saying? The same thing. What was it they were
1: saying? Okay, here's (laughs) an example. They would say, you know, first of all, the senses—the first segment—things would get clearer and have a lot of vitality to them and a more kind of vibrancy to them. That was fascinating. On the interior of the body, they would start getting a sense of intuition and Mm -hmm. wisdom that they never had before. That's pretty standard. Actually, it's not surprising for mental activities when you invite them in. This is where you go from focused attention to the first two segments into now what we would call open awareness people would say nothing came the first time in my life my mind was stable and clear mm. and all the all the uh, invitation was was invite anything in so that was fascinating and then the interconnected part and ultimately i presented it to richie davidson's lab and they said oh add these loving kindness statements so the first part, I had no loving kindness statements, and then I added them because Richie said to do it, but also uh, their results were in that was really very integrative to do that. And it didn't change the results much, but just added a punch because at the end, I get to talk about what I love, which Ram Das loved, was the idea of MWE, that we, we, we shouldn't have an identity anymore as a solo me, but we shouldn't give up the body as a source of experience. So how do you integrate it? You have me plus we equals we. So anyway, I get to throw that in. But the really exciting part, now that people feel this like kind of relief that they could have an identity as a we, but the bending of the spoke part blew my mind because people would uh, say the following things. They say, I felt peace. I felt timeless. I felt connected to everything, eternity, infinity, God, love. I've never felt so much love before in my life. I felt this incredible spaciousness. I felt things were completely empty, yet at the same time completely full. And I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and of course, every, everyone would say, I don't know how to describe it. It's so hard to put the words. And then you, of course, say, OK, try your best. <clears throat> so these are the words they would come up with. Um, so that was really interesting. And when you do the mystical uh, score from Roland Griffiths, you find that they have some of the highest scores. We did this at Esalen um, just doing the Wheel of Awareness practice for the part of exploring the hub, the sense of all these things I'm saying, you know, some being part of something larger than a yeah. separate self, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, those are some of the findings. So, mm-hmm. what I did as a scientist is try to come up with a scientific frame that might, underscore might a million times, might actually explain the wheel study findings and perhaps could illuminate the nature of mind and consciousness. And that's what we can talk about. And so that's what's in the book Aware. And and that is what I presented to Ram Dass in The Ocean. And uh, he got so excited about the proposal, he started flapping on the water and uh, it was <laughs> just it was just it was for me professionally to explain this what's called 3p framework to ram das in the ocean while we were both kind of paddling around with all the flower yeah, petals yeah, around yeah. and and then to have him um go, that's it that's it that's it you know mm. and uh it was this moment i said st- i literally had to pinch myself under the water i said you know because i remember at 14 when i read be here now it was like oh my gosh there's a whole another world than what i'm learning in junior high school <laughs> and uh i don't know what it is but you know i'm really open to that i'm being <laughs> taught one thing but there's actually a whole nother thing going on yeah. so to be there with ram das at that moment mm, was you know sweet. it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment mm,
0: sweet um of course, cent- central to everything is uh, that uh, you talk about and you write about and connect with, uh, of course, mindfulness, which is uh, our byword here uh, in the West these days, uh, but uh, and. I I just want to just read a little bit. The term mindfulness that is often used with the term mindfulness meditation actually does not have a singular fixed definition shared by all practitioners and researchers. The gist of this term, however, can be summarized with the following notions. Being aware of what is happening as it happens without being swept up by pre-established mental activities, like judgments or ideas, memories or emotions, is one way of describing mindful awareness. And I would say that's got it down to just a couple of sentences here that is core for people to understand the true relationship and uh, with, with mindfulness rather than some of the rather uh, uh, incorrect, wrong view uh, on mindfulness that uh, that you see out there a lot, um, so uh, and and what you then talk about, which is what you were just talking about, experience with Ramdas, paying uh, you say uh, more than being aware include paying attention to one's intention and becoming aware of the experience of awareness itself. That uh, to me is extraordinarily important and then in many but not all these practices there is kind a kind regard a sense of care and compassion towards toward oneself and others in what my psychologist colleagues trudy goodman cornfield and jack cornfield uh, along with ramdas and here i'm going to make a correction they stole it from ramdas he st- he came up with loving awareness and sharing uh, and uh, uh, Shauna Shapiro, who I don't know, and her colleagues have called kind attention. But what strikes. Yeah,
1: and I'll tell you, let me just defend yeah, yeah. Jack. They do say Ram Dass came up with it. Uh, oh. And I first heard it from them. And when I said I'm quoting you, they said, no, Ram Dass came up with it. They say that, oh, and okay. uh, knowing how much they all love each other, I just put the three of them together. Yeah, no. uh, and so, yes. and
0: in reality, what a wonderful thing. I mean, if Ramdas is anything, it's uh, he's about anything. It's about sharing from the second yeah. he came back from India the first time. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, um, it's
1: a, yeah it's a, with that with that feeling that I put all three of them there. Yeah,
0: yeah. and then uh, Shauna Shapiro and her colleagues, they call it kind attention. And uh, I love that. I don't know, uh, don't know her. I'd like to meet her actually. It's great, yeah. Uh, um, and Shelley Har- Harrell uses the term soulfulness to reach out to individuals from a range of cultural backgrounds who resonate more with the notion of being soulful than mindful. But these, to me, are the missing ingredients. These words: soulfulness, kind attention, loving awareness. That is a key to understanding what true mindfulness really is. And yeah. so I, I I just really appreciate this in, in the book. And uh, this is your launching point, I believe, into the term, which, of course, is very important for this book, and that's presence. And why don't you talk about that a little bit, because I I'm, I'm totally with you on that one in terms of how important that is, a place for us to to rest in more than we do
1: yeah well thank you rego i mean you know these are words of course presence mindfulness mindful awareness yeah. so in the end you know the word is only a partial attempt at the thing itself so we shouldn't get too caught up in words um this idea of a receptive awareness a mind <laughs> a mindful awareness that's imbued with this um natural quality of literally just consciousness without having to be connected to anything you're conscious of and uh, I know there's lots of things written about it, you know about uh, uh, In as people share with me when I go around teaching and they share with me. Oh, here's this tradition Here's that tradition and I think that's so beautiful Um, From a pure like, you know collect the data point of view the idea of the wheel of awareness Where you distinguish the hub from the rim has allowed this very simple visual image to give people who've never been oriented toward meditating or in some ways are aversive to it. Uh, there are certain people like anti-religious and they don't want to get involved in anything that had an ism connected with it. Um and for people who actually run monasteries, it's been useful. Um, to just say, look, if you distinguish the knowing of consciousness from the known, you drop into, let's just call it presence, into this spacious experience in terms of first-person experience that has the following qualities to it. It has the quality of timelessness. It has this feeling of connectedness to everything. So let's just use the term interconnected. So in fact, it's not even like Oh, there's Dan connected to Ragu connected. To anybody listen to us? No, it's more like it is us or like I like to say, you know, <laughs> you, do, you do have a body, but you do have this reality where who I am is you and it's that lamp and it's the tree and it's the ocean, right? So, so this spaciousness allows not a dissolution of identity, but an expansion of identity. And I know people sometimes use the phrase uh, dissolving the ego, and I'm always a little nervous about that just as a psychiatrist, because there's such an issue of ego with Freudian psychology and all this stuff. So I just avoid the word ego altogether. But the idea that a separate self is no longer there, it's a feeling of an interconnected self. Let's just use that term. So that this, the this, the boundary of the body, the skin encased bag you're in, no longer defines yourself. So like when I was having dinner with Ram Dass, I they go, well, what are you up to? And I said, well, one simple thing I'm up to. And so Ram Das looks at me and I go, it's why do we take the four letter word self and stick it in your body? And everyone around the table goes, what? I said, why do we do that? It's it's like a, it, it's probably the worst lie that's killing the planet hmm. and everyone goes i said because the, the way the brain works is it takes all these energy patterns it turns them into categories right that's just a brain process called bayesian analysis you have this thing called statistical learning We don't need to get into that but basically the brain is trying to make sense of stuff so then it makes a category from that it comes up with a mental concept like self but then it wants to name it with a linguistic term S-E-L-F. And then it takes a definition. Oh, the self of ragu is over there. The self of Dan is over here. That's why I said the Dan issue. Yeah. you know, And so then you're off to the races because this problem is so deep and so embodied and so embedded in our culture that we're basically treating Earth like a trash can because of this toxic lie. So presence without getting a big lecture on, oh, let's have a more extended self and all this kind of stuff. When you drop people into that hub of the wheel in a 30-minute practice, if they're in a parliament or if they're running a school or if they're an engineer or if they're working at home with children or they're a teacher, whenever they are, when they have the experience of dropping into that hub, there's a shift in experience whether you want to call it perception or sensation or whatever you want to call it, this shift in first-person experience Mm. is a transformation of identity where you can't go home again in a good way. You're filled with this feeling of love. And this is the thing that blew, blew my mind. I mean, you do this with 10,000 people and you get over, you know, a quarter or a third of them yeah, taking the microphone or getting notes from the other yeah. ones. I got, a, I got a note from one person who said, I didn't want to say this with the microphone because people think I'm bragging. I felt like I was madly in love with everyone in the room. And, you know, and since we did it yesterday, you know, I am just like a walking bundle of love, you know. So when Ron Dass comes up with the idea of loving awareness, here's what I think is going on. We talk about the science of it, but I think when you look at the science of what presence may come from, it is the stuff of love in this really powerful way that without trying to come up with a framework that would link things together, so far since I've started teaching about this framework, people from the various traditions, the Hindu tradition, the Buddhist tradition, um, the Taoist tradition, um, Qigong, uh in native american traditions polynesian traditions um and people who are studying the brain trying to understand what's the brain and mindfulness all this stuff this framework seems to make everybody have a common tent in which we can hang out and say if this framework is true it actually undergirds it underlies its a mechanism beneath all the different contemplative traditions so far that anyone's approached me with and even the scientific findings of the brain. So it's been really uh, an amazing time now to come in discussion with all these different folks and say, maybe we have a common place to then move forward, understanding the power of presence and love and this receptive state mm-hmm. to move beyond bigotry and racism, sexism, to go beyond this sense of a separate self right. that is getting us to treat the planet like a trash can. So I'm really hopeful for the idea that culture can evolve by tapping people into this hub of the wheel, this place of pure awareness that once we start helping people get there, you don't have to tell them what to do. You don't have to tell them what to do. It's more a matter of letting the natural capacity for human love and connection to emerge. Hmm.
0: It's such a far out thing for me to hear that these people they they say things like I walked out of you know doing that workshop with you around the wheel of awareness feeling like I loved everybody in that yeah. moment well there's a great um, a great story of I think you know dr. Larry Larry brilliant uh, who's part of our sure? our gang of course. and and um, so the, his story was that he went through a lot of stuff around Neem Karoli Baba and being there, and and you know it's it's actually a wonderful story that those of you who are listening, I, I've mentioned this before, but get the book uh, uh, about the stories of the Westerners that went off to India and met him after meeting Ramdas, and it's called Love Everyone. Uh, but in this particular thing, so at one point, Larry... He's sitting there, and he has these same feelings that this these people reported, uh, these 10,000 people, uh, of feeling at one or actually having a loving um, warmth inside them for strangers, basically, or people that, yeah, strangers, some of them not, some of them. And he said, so I thought, okay, well, the job of Neem Karoli Baba, that's his, you know, he's a saint, Siddha, whatever. He loves everybody and there's no, it's unconditional. But I'm loving everybody and I'm looking at myself going, how did that happen? You know? <laughs> so, uh, so obviously being in in this talk about spacious uh, presence uh, that we were in and we we're you know, we we're all in our 20s at the time. Um, These people are going to Dr. Dan's Wheel of Awareness workshop, and the power of 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 coming into that space and that presence—it's all the same. And I'm just saying, I'm mind blowing. It's mind blowing to hear this. I mean, it really is. Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, and it is mind blowing. I mean, here's one one example of this. Ragu is—I was asked to go to another country. They were having a lot of conflicts in the parliament uh, around immigration issues. And um, so they asked me to do the wheel for the parliamentarians. So I went and did it. And um, people took the microphone and shared all this stuff. And then at the break during the snack time, one of the parliamentarians comes up to me, he goes, you know, I didn't speak at all during the sharing time. I said, yeah, you know, I noticed. And he goes, do you wanna know why? I said, yeah. And then he gets really quiet. His eyes get filled with water and he goes, I have never felt so much love before in my life. When we bent that spoke around right into the hub, I never felt so much love, so much connection with everyone and everywhere. I never felt that before. And he's crying. Mm -hmm. So we're quiet. I said, so you didn't want to share that? He goes, oh no, I wouldn't share that. I go, no, he goes, and he points to his parliamentarians over in the other part of the room. He goes, they would think I was weak. Wow. So there's this silence and I say, I understand you didn't want to appear weak. He goes, oh, no, no, no. I said, because you felt all that love. He goes, oh, yeah. (laughs) I said, let me ask you a question. He goes, what's that? I said, when you're making public policy, when you're establishing national law, do you leave love out of the reasoning? And his eyes get really big and he wags his finger and he runs over to chat up his parliamentarian colleagues. And I don't know what they said, but my hope is that this kind of very simple practice it's half an hour for god's sake you know and the hope is that when people actually have that experience not some guy giving it a lecture or reading a book or whatever i mean lectures and books are fine i mean i do them all the time i think there's a place for them but in addition to those things dropping into experience where this fellow for himself and i don't i don't do the lectures like this i don't say Okay, we're going to do a Wheel of Awareness practice. When you get in the hub, you're going to feel so much love you won't be able to share. (laughs) No, I just say, knowns are on the rim. Knowing is in the hub. Let's do it. That's it. And we do it. And love, 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 love. Every time it comes up over and over again. Some people even call it God.
0: And we can talk (laughs) about why. God. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. Now, now we can look at that. If we look at the, I don't know if you want to get into the science of this, but When you look at what probably I think is the match between the Wheel of Awareness 10,000-person study findings and the uh, view of the mind as an emergent property of energy, when you look at that, even though you live in a body and mind is coughing a lot, when you look at that, (laughs) you've uh, you've got this incredible view from physics that says energy is the movement from possibility, to actuality, and when I heard that, it just blew my mind. Mm, love that energy is the movement from possibility to actuality. So I said, "Whoa!" And you know, I was hanging out with uh, 150 physicists for a week in a in an old monastery, converted monastery. So when you map that out, the top would be when uh, a possibility has become an actuality. Let's call that a peak. Then you have these various degrees of probability that give rise to certain actualities. But when you go all the way to the bottom, it's called a mathematical space. It's the mathematical space where all forms in their formless state rest, when they're just possibilities Hmm. and they haven't arisen into actualities. Hmm. So a physicist will say, this is the formless source of all forms. What I say, it's the generator of diversity, the G-O-D. And (laughs) when you see this generator of diversity on a graph that's three-dimensional, it's like a plane. I call it the plane of possibility. Here's what I think is happening. I think your thoughts are peaks, your emotions are peaks, your memories are peaks. Just beneath the peak of this graph on a probability distribution curve are thinking and emoting and remembering. And then you drop down to these various plateaus, which would be a state of mind. Like if I had a patient who was depressed, they would have a depressed state of mind. Or someone who was traumatized as a child would have a shame state. And only certain peaks arise from that particular shame state. Mm -hmm. But when you look at what people report about the hub, all that stuff I just described as rim stuff, when you look at the descriptions of the hub, I think, the metaphor of the wheel of awareness with its hub of knowing, of awareness, corresponds to what's called the sea of potential, the quantum vacuum. In our graph, we call it the plane because it's a shape of a plane, plane of possibility. And I think that's the origin of consciousness. Now, it could be completely wrong. But what's absolutely fascinating about it, if with a million ifs, underscored underscores under the if, you know, if it's correct this is what I said to Ram Dass in the ocean. That what that means is that when we see in the Hindu tradition, the Buddhist tradition, the Taoist tradition, Qigong, you know, Native American traditions, (laughs) Polynesian, whatever tradition. When you see all these different traditions speaking about this, when you read the the poetry of Hafiz, uh, you know, you see people trying to put words to the plane of possibility. It is the formless source of all form. It's where when in mindful awareness, traditional studies, you drop into this natural state of literally dropping into awareness. Some people would call it natural awareness or other people call it effortless awareness. There's all sorts of terms that are used in various traditions. For me, it's just the plane of possibility. It's where presence arises. And then when you learn to live from the plane, life becomes very different. Your approach to other individuals stops being other. You stop othering because you realize we're all just sharing the same plane, and that our various plateaus and peaks are how we differentiate. But ultimately, that's where we meet each other. And amazingly, when you look at the uh, physics of time, this quantum vacuum of the plane of possibility is timeless. Because I don't know if you know this, Ragu, but in physics, we now know there are two realms, just like When you swim, you can do the breaststroke and sometimes you're above air getting air, sometimes you're in the water realm underwater, sometimes you're in the air realm. We have a Newtonian large object classical physics realm that's established, Newtonian rules are true, but when you drop to small states, like electrons or photons, that's called a quantum realm. And I think what happens is, when you're in the plane of possibility, it is the quantum vacuum, so you're in the quantum realm, and there it's timeless. And instead of things in the Newtonian realm where they have the quality of being nouns like separate entities, when you drop into the quantum realm, which is the plane of possibility, then you experience things as events, as verbs that are massively interconnected. And so I think with the wheel of awareness, what you're able to play with, and this in our, in our when we do this like over three days, not just in an afternoon, <clears throat> you teach people to play with how to go into the Newtonian classical realm of mental events that are like nouns, like a thought, a memory, stuff like that. And then you teach yourself with a pretty accessible practice, the wheel of words, to drop into the quantum realm where things are verbs and massively interconnected, timeless, interconnected, and that's where we find each other. Mm. So... The other thing I'll just lastly say about this implication of this is the reason that consciousness may be necessary for choice and change is because if it's true that the plane of possibility is the source of consciousness, then when you're dropping into open awareness, you're not only putting a pause between impulse and action, like between these two peaks that might arise. So there's a pause, there's awareness why we don't know. But the third thing is you've placed your mind in the source of other options. You've literally tapped into the mathematical space where other possibilities than the ones you were prone to do with a certain plateau, when you drop beneath that plateau into the plane, now other peaks can arise that that particular state of mind you're in would never have allowed. So it's good for innovation, creativity, it's good for social, emotional intelligence. And these findings, that also the fourth thing is our, we're massively interconnected. We realize that we live as a verb. This kind of letting go of holding on to a separate self, but realizing the we of our identity. It's just been absolutely amazing to uh, to do this. I mean, someone once even said, "Hey, I live right near Sir Isaac Newton's house. <laughs> Come do the wheel around the apple tree." So we did, and they had a documentary and filmed the whole thing. Mm. It was wild. No. We put it up on our website. You know to be there and say to Newton, hi, you know, you really did a great job with macro state laws, but guess what? We now can drop into micro state realm access with awareness. Mm, yes. So beautiful. much. Fun. Uh,
0: but, uh, so the Mui, which, yeah. um, really rang a bunch of bells, Dan, because I have been investigating, uh, what my friend Krishnadas coined, and speaks of a lot when he's uh, working with people and so on in his workshops from, he talks about the movie of me. We get up in the morning and we are the the producer, the director, and the protagonist. And it goes on 24 seven. So we've been talking about from the movie of me to the movie of "We," and that's something I'm working on with a friend of mine named Duncan Trussell, who's uh, got a, a a really great podcast. Which we got to uh, talk to him; he'd love to talk to you on his podcast. So that, that's something else will will work out. But uh, so, but so we get to a point, and we have this awareness, uh, small awareness, that okay, there's an opportunity here, and uh, we're we're going to see about extricating ourselves through different practices from that oh, very, very sticky mini-me. I mean, because we... Uh, and, and here, and I found something in the book that where you say the wheel offers relief, okay, yeah. from habitual ways of being that may have initially seemed unchangeable. And I think, yes, yes. That is something that every one of us is facing uh, that is really, really uh, intransient. Personality traits can be viewed as particular proclivities of our nervous system, including the tendency to be conscientious, agreeable, and open, to have neurotic or emotionally intense reactions... Wild understatement, and to be outgoing in our approach to the world. These big five personality traits have been studied and revealed to change over time with intentional effort in processes of transformation, such as psychotherapy. Um, so, the key word here is the, they have been uh, revealed to change over time. Give us a little bit of hope here, because uh, I mean, not only, and you know, in, in my own understanding, is we're dealing with what we were brought into, the family we were brought into in this life, we're the society that we happen to be in, and uh, all of the outside forces which create many of the patterns that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, and of course this tremendous aversion from uh, suffering and uh, our constant march towards what's pleasurable. And add that in, with previous life, I mean, I have personally <laughs> had the experience with being with people, a Maharaji being at the top of the uh, of the ladder, that reincarnation and karma are real, and uh, so that you have, th- you're dealing with a whole bunch of stuff that's really intractable. So, uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. Uh,
0: Give us some hope here. I mean, you say change over hope. time with intentional hope. effort. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the amazing thing. And, I, I, you know, when you look at this 3P framework, you can see why there's hope. Because, you know, we get in these habits of plateaus and peaks on this graph. You can, when you see it, you understand it. Um, you know, and, and those are changeable. And it's not only, you know, yeah, of course, you could say the brain is changeable, all that kind of stuff. Sure, the mind is not exactly the same as the brain. The mind uses the brain to create itself, which gets people upset when I say it that way, but it's true. We have research that's really clear. You can use your mind to change the structure of your brain. Hmm. So these patterns, of course, are going to have some kind of correlated neural firing. The amazing thing even just about drawing on brain science is when people can tap into massively integrated states in the brain, what that correlates with is both pure awareness and love for a lot of people they don't have love in their life they don't have this sense of i'm connected to everything and everyone and i'm just in love with life and of course you have your romantic partner your family stuff like that but i'm talking about a larger love which is what the world absolutely needs and this awareness people are often trapped in just being aware of something which is very different from this receptive awareness we're talking about so you know you can play tennis and be aware i'm going to hit the tennis ball this is not the same as flow even though some people put them together. Oh, it's just flow. No, it's not just flow. You're not just going out. And I had once, uh, Mike Cheek sent me high on a stage with Sharon Salzberg. I said, okay, let's settle this once and for all. Mm-hmm. We're the world's experts in mindful awareness, world's expert in flow, let's go at it. Is flow mindfulness and we it became very clear. No, it is not. The presence has a shared similarity. That is, if I'm playing tennis, sure, I can be in the presence and flowing with my tennis racket, all that kind of stuff, beautiful. So it's not that they're contradictory, but they're just not the same thing because with mindful awareness, with this presence, we're talking about a kind of love and ethics. So that if you were, for example, a, a shooter and you wanted to really challenge yourself and shoot a bunch of people in a mall, you could get in the flow of shooting them because there's no ethics built into flow. None. This is from Mike Cheeks This is what we all discussed on the stage. So we need a notion that presence, which is the same source, not only of awareness, but of love, has within it ethics. What's right action? What are we doing for one another, not just with other human beings, but other species with the whole ecosystem? So this is where it's such an exciting moment. You know, in in April, we're having this big conference where I'm having a whole bunch of the people we're talking about to talk about, you know, the inner work. But what do we do with the interwork? not just uh, you know with other people like friends, but across races, what are we doing with that? And what are we doing with our relationship with nature? Right. These are all relational connections as well as your connection with your inner experience. So in April, we're having this whole thing called timeless wisdom, timely action, because these ancient teachings, which now we have some science that isn't needed to support them, it's just a fun resonance, that wow, they're going together now, that's awesome. How do we then take that timeless wisdom, now illuminated perhaps a little bit by science when looking at this plane of possibility, realizing that we have this shared identity, and then how do we move that into action in the world? You know, and so this is a time to do that, and and I'm really thrilled to try to bring different Mm -hmm. human beings together across all sorts of diverse efforts and things they do. (laughs) Science, contemplative practice, religion, ecological uh, justice, you know, and say, let's get to work to take the incredible um, love and awareness built into these uh, experiences and turn it into timely action in a world that is so waiting in terms of cultural evolution to transform our sense of identity, mm. to realize that we are we are deeply, deeply, deep. <laughs> yeah. Deeply, deeply interconnected
0: yeah and you say here this is your challenge you can use your mind to shift the patterns in your relationships and in your brain that's yeah. the secret sauce you are not a captive yeah. prisoner to brain or relationships even though the propensities of these inner and inter sources of your mind will tend to move you in old patterns tend to uh, again an understatement, but getting <laughs> lost in familiar places is a natural vulnerability we all have. Using your yeah. mind and your capacity to be aware is the pathway to freedom from these ingrained patterns. Patience and persistence would be your friends along this path to uh, to the freedom of living from the plane. Um, and, you know, and I do love what our friend um, Jack, uh, we, we just did a thing a couple of weeks ago, we had a panel and um, he almost invariably goes and he does this wonderful thing that is so helpful. We're human. It's okay. Yeah, We have a nose. You smell things and a mouth. What is weird? Put all that vegetation in there. <laughs> and he goes on and on from there, you know, all the way to looking at yourself having sex if you really want to see what, you know, here we are being human. And that it's okay. And this is all around, you know, patience. And uh, uh, I, I think that's uh, also lacking. But the biggest word uh, in, in everything that you're speaking of, especially in relation to awareness and awareness itself and this wheel, and what I love that, that you continue to, to bring out uh, what, the way we've been talking, but in the book as well. And that's around joy. It's around love. It's around kindness and without uh, you have this wonderful chapter called "On Joy" that yeah. uh, I really yeah. appreciated. And you talked about the plane of possibility that can be thought of as a portal to integration, and that you know that integration is very much what we're talking about when we yeah. getting from me to a we. Uh, yeah, these, me to m- we. <laughs> me yeah. to m- we is right. Yeah. Spe- these times are are difficult though, Dan. Uh, yeah, I mean, so somebody in this, uh, th- so Ramadoss was part of the panel. He was uh, skyped, uh, zoomed in uh, to the summit thing that we did a few weeks ago.
1: Oh, you were there. See, I was teaching at the same time you were teaching. I was doing the wheel out in the uh, outside area at Summit. That's B- dumbass is- thing.
0: They also Eckhart Tolle was there, and he was on at the same time as we were. I, I know, mean, what I are you we're doing? Why stack these? You know. The, Anyhow, don't get me. So Ramdas was asked, "What you know? There's so much anxiety now, and so much uh, reactivity. And how? uh, What do you suggest that I can do to neutralize or whatever?" She said something. He or she said, and the first thing he said was, "Stop watching TV."
1: Yeah. (laughs) exactly Uh, stop watching
0: tv and then you know he went (laughs) and then in that moment actually the the whole time it was about a half an hour it was was all about everything that we've been talking about that you've been expressing in this book about presence Mm -hmm. because being Mm -hmm. in that and he he just you know he has now we talk about ramdas where he before the stroke he was like the Lenny Bruce of spirituality who could also elucidate things so clearly and was so honest and so on. And then he had a stroke and now he's more or less become what he used to talk about. (laughs) And he, so he has that (laughs) now can sit and, Oh, and by the way, uh, one of my premises, and uh, this came from Sharon, actually, you know, we always do a theme for these retreats, uh, in, in Maui. And, um, my premise of an antidote on the movie of me is generosity, mm. just starting to get out of yourself to think about somebody else and just a movement, and you talk about intention and intention, and and Sharon actually said I, that would be a fabulous uh, theme, so... We're going to have to get you involved in this thing somehow uh, while we're hanging out out Uh, there, okay? Because generosity.
1: uh, Happy to. You know, Sharon and I were teaching together in New York a few months ago, and um, she said so many beautiful things. And one of the beautiful things she said when people said, well, what is this, you know, loving kindness really? And she said, you know, it's really an awareness of our interconnectedness. And when when you really embrace that notion, loving kindness is awareness of interconnectedness. You realize that generosity is just a natural way to be. You know, so that you walk with your left foot and your right foot, and your left foot, and your right foot. You don't say, "Oh no, I'm just the right foot. Let me hop along through life." No, you have both <laughs> yeah. walking, right. right? You 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 play piano with both hands, right? So we. We are interconnected. And these words we use, like self and ragu and Dan, you know, have an implication of a noun-like separation that only exists in this Newtonian realm. And when you drop into this, you know, spacious hub of the wheel, this plane of possibility, you enter this quantum realm and you realize we're verbs. We're deeply interconnected events and then generosity is just this natural thing like it's fun it's filled with love and joy and generosity because that's the way to be right and so you know i understand it was like i was teaching romania uh one year and there was some graffiti on the wall and i i took a picture of it because it was so powerful what was written and then someone later told me it was krishnamurti's statement so i i still haven't been able to find it from him but Anyway, someone says this is from Krishna Birdie, but I don't know because it was Romanian graffiti. That's all I know for sure. And I took a picture of it. It didn't say by Krishna Birdie. Here's what it said The ability to adapt to a sick society is not a sign of mental health. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so if someone can find it from Krishna Birdie, I'm more than happy to do it without the, the uh, disclaimers. Like I'm not sure. Mm. But if whoever said it, The idea there is that society gives us this set of rules, these categories and concepts and linguistic symbols like self is in your body, for example. We've been thinking that for twenty five hundred years. It's a lie and it's a toxic lie. So part of what we do is like fish swimming in a stinky fish tank. We've got to realize this water around us is actually really unhealthy and our ability to adapt to it is not a sign of mental health, as Krishnamurti or whoever said that said. You know, and it's so um, it's such an important moment to take a step back, learn from our elders, learn from our own direct experience, learn from children and adolescents, because in the middle of adulthood, we're busy just having adapted and, you know, we're just tired trying to pay the mortgage and all this kind of stuff. My gosh, it is time to wake up to the insanity of modern culture and then to pull back from it and say, let's not just go into a cave let's have some timely action to bring everybody along <laughs> in a very positive way. And I know this was attempted in the sixties. I get it. You know, I was a, I was <laughs> just a young adolescent then, but I think this is a time where all these different traditions, contemplative traditions, you know, ecological movements, um, social justice, science, um, whatever the stuff I do, interpersonal neurobiology is what it's called, where you bring everybody together and say, Let's find a common ground and move the world toward a more integrated way of being. That's how Mm. we create health in the world.
0: Amen. Amen. So great, Dan so great well ragu great to chat uh, with you and i'm so excited we'll be together yeah no it's going to be fantastic so uh and we're gonna everybody you'll be able to go as i always say at at the end of the podcast especially with people who have something uh wonderful and concrete to offer as dan does with his book aware and with the awareness wheel which is fascinating and the results of that are are absolutely mind-blowing as far as i'm concerned and uh and Websites, all that stuff, it'll all be there. And thank you again for being here on Mind thank Rolling you. and being part of the Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network. That's I'm how this very came.
1: honored, very honored indeed. Thank yeah, you so, so much. So great.
0: So we, uh, hi, everybody out there, we'll see you next week on Mind Rolling.